A reading from Isaiah. See, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. Just as there were many who were astonished at him, so marred was his appearance beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of mortals. So he shall startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which had not been told them they shall see, and that which they had not heard they shall contemplate. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their face, he was despised. And we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that was made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He, has, he was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The word of the Lord. A reading from Hebrews. The Holy Spirit testifies, saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, 
since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The word of the Lord. The Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ According to John. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. And so Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you are looking for me, let these men go. And this was to fulfill the word that was spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. And then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that my father has given me? And so the soldiers, their officer and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people than to lose their freedom. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? Peter said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. And then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. And Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? And then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? 
And again Peter denied it, and at that moment the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. And then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was an insurrectionist. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, and the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. And when the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jewish leaders answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he is claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. That was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, Here is your king. And they cried out, Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but the emperor. And then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. And 
And there they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew and Latin and in Greek. And then the chief priest said, the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top, so they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says, they divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus received the wine, he said, It is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, the, the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a, great, a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. And then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says they will look on the one whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices and linen cloths according to the burial customs of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was also a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so because it was the day, the Jewish day of preparation, and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Please be seated. It's hard to say what Friday means because it means so many different things. And it's called Good Friday, of course, because it can only be good looking backward and how it might have been good for us. There's a theologian from the 1600s named Dunce Scotus, maybe you've heard of him before. He wore a hat on his head that was shaped like a cone, which later became called a dunce cap. And Dunce Scotus said that the goodness of Friday, of course, 
is that it shows God's plan all along. Duns Scotus says the cross was not God's answer to humans messing things up. It was God's plan from the beginning of the world to show us how much God cared and was willing to be enfleshed with us and to know what it was like to be a human being. That is most certainly good for us. Duns Scotus says that it is good Friday because in those moments when we find ourselves deserted, neglected, and suffering, and we say, God, have you forsaken me? God knows exactly how that feels. Duns Scotus says, Good Friday is good for us because our suffering and our pain is not a stranger to God. But God received it as a stranger. And Duns Scotus says, Good Friday is good for us because God, having done it once, knows what it's like forever. Because everything that God does is eternal. And this entrance into death, into the death, all of us will eventually die physically, but have already felt in so many areas of our life. God has entered. It is a part of God. And when we die, spiritually, physically, mentally, we die inside of God and not apart. Good Friday for us. Originally, the day was called Black Friday. Black. Black because darkness covered the sky at the time. And it is a dark day, as Thomas Merton writes. Black Friday happened, the cross happened, because God did not measure up to our goals for Jesus. The people who knew him wanted him to do things he would not do. They wanted him to take up a sword and lead a revolution. They wanted him to validate their way of living. They wanted him to be on their side. And when he refused, said Thomas Merton, out of their disappointment with Jesus, they decided they would just go ahead and get rid of him. Black Friday. And while it might be fascinating to dwell on the good parts, the Gospel of John is full of these. In the Gospel of John, Jesus does not cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the Gospel of John, only when Jesus' side is pierced, out comes blood and water. Almost every scholar will tell you the water is for baptism and the blood is for the Eucharist. The Gospel of John is saying these things come out of God even at the most dangerous moments and in the most abandoned moments come our connections with God, life. Even in those moments of goodness, I think Friday asks us to consider not only the isolation and suffering of Jesus, but to remember the very real isolation and suffering that are a part of our world. 
not only by refugees and victims of chemical warfare, not only by people in impoverished nations across the world or people who are homeless in our city, but in those moments in our own lives, some of us still there. Moments of desertion and suffering and pain. Moments where we cry, God, have you forsaken me? And the depth of the day is that it asks us to bear the good and the black. The depth of the day is it asks us to consider the suffering and isolation of Jesus, but only in conjunction with the suffering and isolation of ourselves. The depth of the day is that it asks us to consider the injustice that affects people today and the injustice that affected Jesus then. And because the day is so deep, there is reserved for us the elements of Jesus' life, the bread by which we're to remember his body and the wine by which we remembered his blood and his life so that we can be energized on our own Good Fridays, so that we can be energized for the Good Fridays of our families and our friends, so that we can be full of the life of Christ, even in the middle of the cross.